for sound. I'm going to, I'm going to ask Brother Tom a few questions just to kind of get the, uh, the flow of it. And uh, this is kind of a new experience. You know, generally I have to stand to talk here. <laughs> it does feel good to sit down. <laughs> Actually, speak for yourself. <laughs> now, Brother Tom's just getting the feel of what this is all like. <laughs> well, uh, Somebody, uh, somebody made our brother Tom. I, I just have to tell a couple personal things because this is a, this is a family night, you see. But brother Tom Brown and I have had something going for a number of years, and that's about our age. And um, he just got a little time on me, but very, very little. And uh, a good friend of mine took a good hard look at us yesterday and put us both at the same age and just made a friend forever out of brother Tom. <laughs> So uh, Brother Tom called me on my birthday. He has great joy in doing that, you know, to remind me I turned another birthday and I wasn't home. <laughs> I was quite sure he would call, so I wasn't home that day. <laughs> but the thing we're here tonight to, to talk about, we'll be talking about Brother Branham and what, he has, uh, what his life has meant to each one of us indirectly. But now Brother Brown, Sister Marilyn, their children, Sister Dow and her husband, who you made mention or heard mention many times on the tape. And you remember Brother Brandon had that vision, says, I'll shake his hand. Wasn't that? He said, I'll mm-hmm. shake his hand on the street. And uh, uh, how, 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 how old was Brother Dow when he passed away? In fact, he was 94. 94 years old. Mm-hmm. He had his heart attack when he was 91. Uh-huh. Uh, well, just to get a starting place, Brother Tom, um, and then you just feel free to talk to the people as you have it there, but w- perhaps you'd actually start at the beginning of, you know, how uh, Sister Gladys was in the meeting, and then and then how the family came in, mm-hmm. and then from there on, just okay. uh, take your time. Uh, well, may I like to start just a little bit prior to that, Brother Ed? We, uh, I had an aunt... Uh, well, if you pardon me, I, I've written a lot of things down. I'm not used to this, so if I refer to my notes, I hope you'll go ahead. Kind of go ahead. My... <laughs> we don't want you to miss anything. Uh, I worked on these a little bit this afternoon, I, and Debbie typed them up for me. And if I may read some of them, yes, if you want to start and ask, uh, stop and ask me questions, I'd like to start this testimony by including a few years prior to the time we heard of Brother Branham. I had an aunt who was Sister Dow's sister. This aunt was a real prayer warrior. She'd fast and pray very often. We, her family, were the subject of her prayers, and we all knew it. I tell you this that it might help some of you who are still holding up loved ones who have not come into the message yet. God took my aunt home, but before she died, the Lord showed her that all her family would be saved. And well, Sister Dow knew that she had lost a dear one that prayed for her often, so she knew that she would have to get right with God herself. <laughs> and she often says that herself, so I'm not saying anything out of... And, and she no longer had Aunt Edie praying for her, so she started going to Oral Roberts meetings. And one of these That's meetings... Sister Dow. Yeah, Sister Dow started going to Oral Roberts meetings. In one of these meetings, she was talking to a sister who told her about Brother Branham. So she and Uncle Bill started going to Brother Branham's meetings where they were saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. When they were baptized, Brother Branham baptized she and Uncle Bill. What, which is quite uh, an honor for him. Yeah. yeah, but what year would that be? When I think that was in 1959. Wasn't that glad? 59 or 60? 59. Uh-huh. And uh, incidentally, she was there, and Uncle Bill was there when the uh, pillar of fire came in the tabernacle after Brother Branham had preached the church ages. Amen. And uh, she witnessed this light coming right through one of the posts and went back on the back wall, stopped and circled and shaded just like Brother Branham had drawn it on the blackboard Amen. prior to that. That's okay. quite an experience for yeah. Amen. So I go on here to say that after Sister Dow was saved, she started taking up the burden that her sister that had died, had, and that was the salvation of her family. Many times Sister Dow would get in the prayer line. 
for the salvation of her family, which was I was one of them. One time, Brother Branham told her, Lord, this sister doesn't ask for herself but for someone else. Mm. Sister Dow kept trying to witness to us in any way she could. She tried to encourage us to hear tapes, but none of this registered in my heart. We had no desire at that time. But then one time she got in the prayer line again for the salvation of her family. And this time as Brother Bram was praying, she cried out, Marilyn. Brother Bram told Sister Dow that this day the Lord would start to work on her family. That was your wife, of that course. That was my wife, yeah. Mr. And she just, when she was in the line? And when Brother Bram was starting to pray for her request, which was the salvation of her family, right then Gladys cried out, Marilyn. And Brother Bram told her that that today that the Lord would start to work on her request. That very day. That so. very day. Yeah. That God would start to work right. with Marilyn. Yeah. And when they returned to Lima, uh, and glad, uh, Marilyn started at, uh, showed her uh, hunger. She wanted to hear more of the tapes. She wanted to hear more about the messages. She wanted to hear all about all the services. And before, she never been able to be a, a bit of uh, encouragement from us. You know, we just didn't show any interest at all. So, so hunger just started to develop. Yeah. So the Lord, the Lord really opened that door right there for us. Yeah. And when Marilyn got got interested, got saved, and she got salty, and then I started. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I had a bad habit of smoking, you know. And first time I ever heard Brother Brown was when he was preaching down at Chautauqua. I forget the name of the of the message, but he was preaching there, and I never forget he was. He was really getting on the toes of smoking cigarettes. And he said, if the Lord would have wanted you to smoke a cigarette, he'd have built you with a smokestack. <laughs> and I thought, boy, that's the crudest remark I ever heard. <laughs> but you know, that stuck with me. And then when I finally did give my heart to the Lord, you know, that's one of the first things I asked for him to take away from me. But the next time I heard him was in uh, Middletown when Brother Branham preached to the Jezebel religion. And we heard this. I knew that this was a, a man of God. One, he was a different preacher than anything I'd ever heard before. You know, I, I knew there was something different about it. And in that same meeting is when I raised my hand and wanted to be saved. And after, after we left and went home and I started to hear the tapes, it just seemed as though God just took the veil off of my eye, you know. Amen. And, uh, I, I remember that I'd get that tape recorder out, you know, and I'd play it a while and and I'd stop it and get them my Bible out and underline the scripture and I'd start it up again and then I'd, I just about wore out that stop and go button. <laughs> but then, in that in that meeting, uh, was Sister Marilyn saved? You told me about one we both, meeting. We both raised our hands up in right the same there. meeting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which service was it when he was kind of coming uh, on the women? You know, I was about the smoking. Yeah. Yeah. But it, well, it I didn't. I, I kind of spared my wife. I go. Oh, I'll go back to that. <laughs> You can't yeah. spare anybody in okay. this testimony. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sister Marilyn. <laughs> yeah, I'll go back to that. Then. Well, Brother Bradham, had, uh, you know, I was I was an outright sinner then, you know. The, in fact, the only reason I went to that service, it happened to be my mother's birthday coming up. And she didn't want anything for her birthday other than me to go to this, here, Brother Bradham. Uh, well, okay, I'll go here, Brother Bradham, you know, and I... It was a camp meeting. It was a great big building, but then the sides, the, somehow or another, the sides would lift up, you know, and, it would, and the, the crowd just spread way out over the fields of this campground. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really overflow crowd, which suited me because I didn't have to go in the building. I sat out here on this picnic table. <laughs> but I could hear him, you know, and, uh, and he was... He was getting all these women, you know. Well, of course, I had been drinking and, as I said, smoking and everything. And, and I didn't have much room to talk about my wife because she'd always lived a pretty pretty good life. But she did wear uh, shorts, you know. And she, and she sang in this choir at church. And, of course, they always had these big robes on, you know. And uh, first, before he got out of smoking, he started talking about, he started talking about these women in the with the priestly robes on and going home and working out in their backyard with shorts on. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's when I thought he was all right. You know? I thought, well, that's <laughs> 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 and 
then the very next thing he says, and you been smoking cigarettes. <laughs> so <laughs> he didn't leave any stone uncovered. No, <laughs> but I know that the Lord. I nobody will ever made me believe other than that that the Lord had him say that specifically for Marilyn and I. You know. Amen. Because it it. Even though I, even though I resented it at the time, it stuck with me, you know. And when the Lord continued to deal with me, it, as I said before, that was one of the first things I really wanted to be free of—that that mm -hmm. smoking demon. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, as I, as I said, we uh, started hearing the tapes, and the Lord started opening things up to me. And, and I, and I, uh, as we were just babes, Marilyn and I, in the, in the, in the Word, and we were. Uh, just babes in the message, and we started hearing these tapes, and and uh, we had a desire to be baptized, and water baptism in uh, that coming Easter, which was just a couple months away. And during this time, we started witnessing to my dad. And uh, of course, as I said, I was just a babe in the Lord, and I didn't really know how to witness. But anyway, we was able to convey enough to him that that he too had a desire to go down with us and he wanted to be baptized also. And when we went down there, I'll never forget I had this, still had this smoking demon on me. I smoked three packs of cigarettes a day at that time. And I went up to the church and right there on the corner of 8th and Penn Street there's a, a manhole right there at the sewer. I had a cigarette in my mouth and I said, Lord Jesus, with your help I'll be the last one I ever smoke and I threw that thing in that sewer. We went into the church and Brother Branham had a message, and after that, then we had the water baptism, and, and my dad, Marilyn, and I, all three were baptized. And all the way home, we stopped at this restaurant and had lunch. And you know that uh, my dad at that time had not smoked for five or six years. But you know that smoking demon left me and went on my dad. And when he went up to pay the bill for our lunch, he bought a little package of cigars. And you know, he smoked those until his death, until he died. And uh, now, at the time, I didn't understand it, but now I know. You know, you can, you can see, you know, how, you know how the demon will do these things. See, well, I, with the Lord's help, it, it left me. But uh, Dad didn't realize what was going on, and, he, and it went right on him, you know. <clears throat> on my page. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go. Then after we was baptized, you know, the Lord really gave me a hunger for the truth. He used everything we could spare for my wages to go hear Brother Branham. And a lot of the meetings we went to, we could not have gone if it hadn't been for Brother and Sister Dial helping us. They used the excuse that they needed a chauffeur to drive them, and, and I happily agreed. <laughs> So, so that's so how they, we got... they use those tactics too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we was able to go to a lot of meetings. The first time I ever met Brother Branham, he impressed me very much. He was a person you just loved to be around, as Ed, I'm sure, has told you. I remember the first time that he held my hand, and I wondered, now, what in the world is he holding my hands along for? You know what? At that time, I wasn't aware of that one of those gifts that he did have. You know, he'd hold your hand, he'd tell if anything was wrong with you, you know. And I, I didn't realize it, you know. It puzzled me. Why he held my hand so long, you know. But now, later on, I, you know, I can think back and I know why he did, you know. But he never said anything, so I must have not had anything wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> or he wasn't telling you. Yeah, he wasn't telling me. <laughs> Yeah, and then too also uh, in the meetings, you know, when I'd see Brother Branham ministers, Ed has, and all those that were privileged to be in some of the meetings, he he could tell when the Holy Spirit would come into the meeting. And Brother Branham always he's always told on the messages, and he he, he said the the secret was getting himself out of the way that the Holy Spirit could could dwell in him and right. take over, you yeah. know. And you could actually see this. You know, you could, you could, I think all of you that have seen the movie may have, may have been able to detect yourself when the Holy Spirit come in and, 
and took over, you know, but in the meetings, you could always tell. You could always see when the Holy Spirit come in and took over. I wanted to ask you, Brother Tom, um, others that I've talked to, and Billy Paul said to me once that uh, of all the years, you know, that he was in the meeting, that he said Daddy never had to say once that the angel had come, you know, but what he had felt it already. Right. He knew the presence of it. Amen. I just wanted to ask if that, you know, if that was your experience as well. Yeah, you could always you, tell. You could always tell when it was there. As soon as the angel came. Yeah. yeah, he would stand. He would quite often. He would uh, stand very erect, you know, and uh, he would just start speaking with such authority. His yeah. countenance would just yeah. His countenance, change. his whole countenance would change. His eyes, the way he looked at you, everything. It's just almost like he, he just took on that eagle image. Mm -hmm. yeah. you, know? yeah. you just felt when you stood before him, just as though everything was exposed. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I told I told Lance and his mother them the other night how that that at one of that the communion, you know, when Brother Branham was served communion, uh, he would stand up there with his arms crossed and and he'd look at you and boy he'd just look right straight through you. You know, and you'd go up there and he was really. I had kind of a complex over it because for a while I thought I was the only one that he was looking at like this, you know. And I wondered if I really had everything under the blood, to be honest with you. Well, explain how they had the communion. And then, yeah, well, they, they had communion just... Brother Bram would have communion at the tabernacle and everybody knew it. Uh, the place would always be packed out. Mm -hmm. And uh, the deacons would have people come up the... I don't know if you... A lot of you probably haven't seen the tabernacle, but they had a, uh, a quite long, a wide altar. And the deacons would somehow was able to get, get the people come up here, and then as a certain group would have finished the bread and the wine, they would very quietly go back to their seat, and others would come up, and then they would be moving on. It was always a, a constant change of people, but it was somehow very reverent. And Brother Branham always stood back to the back, and as they would need a new tray of, of, uh, of bread or a new tray of wine, they would always bring it up to him to pray over, you know. Mm -hmm. And other than that, then he would be standing there, very erect with his arms crossed, and he'd be just looking right During the whole time. Yeah, and he would just look right through you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really gave you fear of the Lord, yeah. Sure it would. Give you great respect for him. Right. Amen. God, that's good for us all to have, that yeah. kind of respect. <coughs> Yeah, I lost my place. <laughs> so it happens when you get old, brother. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Oh, yeah, this is something I think some of you would be interested in. I remember how that before and between the meetings, you know, we would have a lot of time on our hands and, and a lot of uh, the brothers and sisters would gather in our rooms in the motels and we would be discussing you know things of the message brother Branham brought out or maybe we'd be discussing things of the scriptures you know maybe we'd have a question on what this particular scripture meant or something of this sort and it always amazed us how that in the very next meeting it seemed as though the Lord would have brother Branham answer the questions that that we'd discussed with one another you know and we just sit there in amazement looking at one another, how that they just come right out and answer it. You know, is that well, were you there when they preached the seals? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Well, what, what were you thinking when the seals were being preached? Did you, do you think the people understood what was coming at that time? I don't believe they really no. did. I don't, I, don't, I don't think they really, I know I didn't realize the significance of it, you know, mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, well, you enjoy the messages, you knew the Lord was anointing it, but yet you didn't really didn't seem to really know the, the, the full significance depth of, of it. it. Yeah. 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 I think that's very important you know, for, for the people now to, to realize a lot of the people that are coming into the message or have over the, you know, since Brother Branham has gone, you see, they, they see a whole complete message, but for, the, for, for them now to put themselves back, say, 15 years, you know, 60, I know 63, 64, 65, it was hard to comprehend that this was a, a complete Mm -hmm. A restoration. We knew it was a restoring work because we believed in restoration. Mm -hmm. But to see that this was a, a complete message, it just was impossible to realize at that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And then for a few years, there was nobody who had really studied it who could teach it to us. Mm -hmm. You know, we just had to hear, keep hearing the tapes, keep mm -hmm. hearing the tapes, and right. 
and see that the theme was there. And uh, I'd like to tell you about a few things that I saw in some of the meetings and so forth. I remember one time we was out in Topeka, Kansas, and that's right in the heart of our tornado country down in the States. Maybe a lot of you realize that. As we was driving up to this auditorium to let Bill out, it was a tremendous clap of thunder. And it was just as though the Lord was saying, pay attention. It was just one single clap of thunder. And, and I remember the skies was quite clear at that time. And we left them out, and they went into the auditorium. Incidentally, in Brother Brown's meetings, you always had to go three or four hours early in order to get a seat. And, uh, you know, a little while started getting a little cloudier and a little cloudier, and pretty soon it looked real bad. And the air raid sirens went off, and, and they made everybody go down to the shelter. And uh, here a tornado had been sighted five miles out of Topeka, and it had touched down and was coming right at Topeka. And Brother Branham was in the motel where some of the brothers were still over there, and they tell me that, that he went, he came out of the room and he saw it. He went back into his room and he prayed. He told him, he came back out and he told him, he says, you know, I think it's going to be all right. He says, it'll probably just break up and the sun will come out again. And that's just exactly what happened. Yeah. And the next day there was an article in the paper that how this mysteriously broke up. And we were witnesses. We saw it. You know. Amen. But uh, just as amazing as that tornado broke up to me is the fact that that one single clap of thunder, you know, yeah, just prior to all this, you know, just the Lord, I, I took it as a sign from the Lord. You know, really Amen. Then <clears throat> as, uh, to go back into some of the things on these tapes, you know, a lot of you have heard about Brother Dowley's heart attack. But when he had his first heart attack and Brother Branham come to Lima to pray for him, uh, I remember he, Gladys tells how that he went into the room with him and he put his hand into the oxygen tent and Bill was conscious, but he was in a lot of pain. And he told him, he says, Brother Dowie says, I believe you're going to be all right. He says, I'll see you in church again. I'll shake your hand on the street. And uh, two weeks after that, God did such a marvelous job of healing him that we got up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, a man, 91 years old, that just had a, a severe heart attack and a complete heart failure. <laughs> the doctor said he didn't have a chance. And uh, he got up, we got up at 3 o'clock in the morning and he drove all the way to Jeffersonville with us. <laughs> How many miles was that? 235 miles. And that was a five-hour drive at that time. And we went down there and, we, and Brother Dow went into the church. And Brother Bram didn't even preach that day. He was up on the platform. Brother Noble was preaching. He saw him in the church. After church, everybody was around talking to Uncle Bill and telling him how much they... So grateful that the Lord saw fit to spare him, heal him. And we left to go over to, to Louisville to eat at the Blue Bar Cafeteria. And as we was driving up to the restaurant to let Uncle Bill out, here comes Brother Bram and another couple around the corner. He shook his hand on the street. Yeah, Uncle Bill, he was a, he was a good old Dutchman. Boy, those old tears just started rolling out his cheeks. You know, it, it was really touching to me. Let's see. Oh, while he while he was in Lima, uh, there was a time that the doctor said that uh, nobody could uh, to go in and be with Uncle Bill for a while because they wanted to perform some more tests, some more X-rays, and so forth. They said that uh, it'd be 45 minutes before anybody could go back in to see him. Well, Aunt Gladys didn't want to leave the hospital, but she did want Brother Branham to see their home. So she asked if I would take up Brother Branham out to, to see uh, where they live. And we went out to their house, and uh, Brother Branham was always very attentive. You know, he would, uh, I guess it was just that eagle nature, but he, he would always see things. When he would come in here, you know, he'd, he'd be, he'd probably be counting the boards and the, the, you know, to see if there was any spiritual significance to it. And when he went in that house of theirs, you know, he counted the steps, and it said the seven from the, from the ground to the porch of seven steps, you know. And then we went from the porch to the house, there's three steps, you know. And he, uh, he made mention of that to me, you know. And, and as we went through the house, you know, he, was, he commented how, uh, how much he respected them for the fact that, that uh, 
he knew Brother Dow was quite wealthy, and he knew that uh, uh, if they wanted, they could have had servants and chauffeurs, but they always saw fit to live very humble, and he respected them for that. He commented about it, right? and uh, I thought that was quite nice. Amen. Yeah. I do that, yeah. And both Brother and Sister Dow and yourselves quite a bit, but particularly uh, uh, Brother Bill and Sister Gladys drove, followed uh, Brother Branham yeah. in many, many of the meetings, right. and, didn't they? I know they were over Port Alberni, Port Alberni yeah. and all the way up into Dawson Creek right. yeah. in, in the very later years. Yes, sir. Yeah, they didn't really need a chauffeur, you know. Right. <laughs> but we was glad they asked for one. <laughs> yeah. Talking about Brother Branham noticing all the small things, if I could just insert this, up when we went hunting, there came this old Indian father, this MacDonald, mm -hmm. had 17 children. But when he came in, I was trying to observe Brother Branham to see what is it that he's going to notice. Mm -hmm. And after a, a, a time, we gave the Indian people some tea and some cookies and so on and so forth. And this, this man, Brother Branham, he said to Brother Bud, ask him how old he is. So the old man says, 80 no more. 80 no more. He was beyond 80, but he didn't know how much, you know. And I, and I saw Brother Branham stand with that real erect, you know, and he was just looking at him and studying him. And, and I was standing there wondering, what's going through his mind? You know, what is it that he's looking at, you see? And then they went outside and he got, the old man got on his horse and they rode away, getting ready to ride away. And Brother Branham said to me, he says, Brother Eddie, See those patches? And he had big gunny sack patches starting up or halfway up his thigh and going down to his shin on both legs mm -hmm. over his pants. And then his second thing, he said, he, first he says, see those patches? And I says, yeah, I had I'd noticed. So see how erect he sits in that saddle? And those were the two things, and that all puzzled <laughs> me, you know. Prophet of God, that's what he noticed, was the patches and how straight he sat in the saddle. <laughs> but I see all of that, I think, was the character. He wasn't seeing just those things, but it was the character of yeah. the man, you see. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess I'm going to some of the things he told me. He, uh, you know, I had occasion to talk to Brother Bram several times, and I really treasure him. A lot of times he, he told me some things that was real private and personal to me, but and I'll treasure him to go into eternity itself. But uh, I would like to relate my personal interview that I had with Brother Branham. You know, I had, as I said before, I uh, had a very sinful life. I'd been drinking, smoking, everything. And, you know, I guess my name or something, I don't know. I had trouble, I had trouble believing that God could just simply forgive me that easy for what I'd done. And, of course, Satan took this opportunity to really give me a rough time. You know, he was really riding it for all it was worth, and, and he, he really, really had me down. And I remember one time I, I stopped along Roadside Park. And I was really burdened, and I was praying, and I had my little Bible with me, and I I, I read back in, I think it was in Jude, or First, Second John, somewhere in there, something caught my eye, and I ran the Son of Reference, and it took me back up to Romans 5, 6, and 7, where you be, if you be in Christ, all things are forgiven you. And, mm. and this was just exactly what I asked God to show me. And I thanked him for it. And I said, now, Lord, I just feel that, that Satan is going to get right back on my back. And he'll say it was just a coincidence that my eye hit that scripture. Mm. And I asked to have an interview with Brother Branham. And a week later, I had this interview with Brother Branham. And they had a church service, but before the service, Brother Branham had me in, in his little private study there. And he and I were sitting in a chair quite like you and I had. And he was just talking about things of the Lord, nothing real pertinent to my problem. But then all at once, I felt the presence of Almighty God just settle down mm -hmm. around me. You know, it was the most wonderful feeling I've ever experienced in my life. And when I did, when I felt the presence of the Lord come over me, Brother Branham looked above me he never looked at me after that mm. he told me what I'd done and that I'd been forgiven praise and, God amen <laughs> <laughs> is that wonderful amen 
and uh, I tell you, that, uh, that has special, special meaning, you know, to, to oh, us yeah. today because Satan gets on all our cases. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, all through this interview, Brother, it's kind of comical now because all through this interview, Brother Brown was calling me Brother Brown. And of course, I knew him well enough that I knew, and he knew my first name because on occasion he called me Brother Tom. Yeah. And I was thinking, I wish he wouldn't call me Brother Brown so much. You know, it seems so formal, you know. I just wish he'd call me Brother Tom. And uh, he smiled. He called me Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> I never liked Tommy, but... <laughs> so, so my life was an open book then, I tell you. It, it just, nothing was hid. <laughs> Amen. Oh, and I'll tell you about my mother now. When... When Satan put sugar diabetes on my mother, she went to the hospital. The doctors was able to finally regulate her blood, her blood uh, sugar with medication, and uh, she was dismissed from the hospital. And at that time, she was living with brother and sister Dow. And about a week after she's out of the hospital, she started getting real sick. And Glass called me over and went over, and Mom was running a temperature of about 104, and I think sometimes it got almost up to 105. And she would just shiver and shake, and that bed would just shake all over. And, and uh, it really burdened, you know. I was really worried about her, and I started calling Brother Branham up. And, you know, a lot of times we pray for people and pray for things, and, and you pray earnestly, but somehow you just can't always get through like you want to. Mm -hmm. But this time I had childlike faith. I just knew Mom would be all right. There was just there was just no question in my mind at all. I knew she'd be all right after I talked to Brother Branham. So I called Brother Branham up and I told him how Mom was. I asked him if he'd pray for her. And he asked if she was close to the phone where he could talk to her. And there was a phone right by the bed. So he talked to her and he prayed for her on the phone. We hung up and I just knew she'd be all right. And here an hour passed, and she got worse, if anything. So I called Brother Branham back. <laughs> and I said, Brother Branham, I says, I can't understand it. Mom's not any better. And I'll never forget it. He says, he says I can't figure it out either. And, uh, <laughs> and right then, the Lord showed him. See, he, he says, wait a minute. He says, ask her if she's taking all her medicine. And Mom had just been a young Christian. You know, she hadn't been in the message very long. And she somehow reasoned that, that by taking the doctor's medicine, it was displaying a lack of faith on her part. Mm -hmm. And she reasoned somehow that if she took the pills and broke them in half, it wouldn't be quite so bad, see. And that's what she was doing, breaking that medicine, those pills in half. And he says, uh, ask her if she's taking all her medicine the Lord had showed him that, see. And I asked her, and she confessed what she'd been doing. He says, you tell her to take all her medicine, and she'll be all right. And she did, and she was all right. Yeah. <laughs> Brother Tom, now, I know that uh, maybe this raises a question in a lot of people's mind. Could you, in your talks and conversation with Brother Branham, and your knowledge of his personal life, you know, there, there's a line, there's a relationship, there's a coming together of that perfect faith and miraculous healing, and yet where he wasn't afraid of doctors or if medication was needed to take the medication, and yet the healing was the perfect way. How how did how did you in your own personal life view that in his life? Well, I, this is my own personal thought, but I always thought that that Brother Branham um, uh, attributed all healing to the Lord, whether it be doctor, whether it be medicine, or whether it be an outright miracle. Mm -hmm. You know. And uh, I think sometimes he probably recognized each individual, whether they had a uh, sufficient amount of faith to, mm -hmm. to grasp that healing, uh, or whether they might need that crutch of a pill, or yeah. might need that crutch of a, of a doctor mm -hmm. or something, you know. But so he would see in them whether they had it or not. I think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But regardless, I think I know in Mom's case, she always gave the Lord the glory for healing. Yeah. You know, whether it was yeah. whether it was a pill or not. Right. Right. Okay. Now here's another one. Now shortly after Mom had this experience with the diabetes, in fact, it's, she hadn't been over this for over a week or two, and I think Bill had another flare-up about that same time. So we had two with us. It was kind of just recuperating. And we had a desire to go to the Phoenix meetings that Brother Bram was going to preach in. And Phoenix was uh, a little over 2,000 miles from Lima. And I knew that uh, we had the two over 2,000 miles to go, and I knew we had about two and a half days to do it in. So... Uh, I had kind of a heavy foot at that time, you know. Does everybody know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got out in the west part of the states, and, uh, you know, you could get in some wide open country out there. Yeah. You could go for miles and not see anything. And, and uh, my foot got kind of heavy, and I had that big imperial that they had up to about 100 mile an hour, you know. And I kept, and the Lord was convicting me of it, you know. Uh, <laughs> And I, and I was reasoning with the Lord. Now, Lord, if I'm doing wrong, you show me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we get into Phoenix. It was four hours early, you know. So it just shows you that I didn't have to go quite that fast. But we got into Phoenix, and we thought, well, we better go get some to eat. So we went over to this restaurant. And here in this restaurant, the only people were in there were Brother Branham and his family. No one else was in there except the help. And they saw us and they waved and they motioned for us to come over. And, and uh, we went over and after everybody was seated and we greeted one another and we was getting down to the serious business of eating. Uh, Brother Brandon was sitting right close to me and he leans over and he says, Brother Tom, tell me how fast you driving coming out of here. What did you say? Uh, that's all I said. What did you say? I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but then I went to the room that night, you know, and I was reading my Bible. And it says, "Obey the laws of the land." So I mouth of two witnesses, you know. <laughs> so ever since then, I've tried to stay within the law if I possibly can, you know. Amen. And then uh, another time we was out in Phoenix. I was called home because my dad suddenly died. And uh, this, when, I, when he suddenly died, I had no idea that he was, had anything wrong with him, really. But they called me, and, and uh, when I was making arrangements to fly home, Marilyn saw how troubled I was, and she says, Call Brother Branham up. I, I hated to do it. I just didn't want to call him. So finally, she kept insisting, and I. Okay, so I called Brother Branham up, and right away he, he could tell on the phone how, how uh, worried I was about my dad's soul, you know, because I knew Dad had started smoking again, and, and I'd known how Brother Branham had talked about the smoking thing, you know. And uh, I, I was afraid Dad was lost, you know. Brother Branham was talking to me, and he, he recognized this, and he told me, he says, you know, he says, your dad will be all right. He says, your dad will not make the bride. He won't make the bride, he says, but he was saved. He says he believed when he was baptized. And when I went home, that was, that was wonderful to know this, you know. But even in all that, still knowing God was on the scene and, and, and he had a prophet on the land and, and the prophet had told me this, I still somehow had a, a little bit of a battle with it, you know. And I was on a business trip one time, and I was in this motel, and, and my dad, before he died, had, had given me a wristwatch, and uh, it, this wristwatch used to belong to him. And uh, I was in the room praying, you know, and, and I had on my thoughts, it was thinking heavily about my dad, you know, and, and all at once the room was dark, you know, and all at once there was an amber light coming right out. Watch. Hmm. Hmm. So I believe Dad will be in heaven. I, I know he won't be the bride because the prophet said he wouldn't be the bride, but he, he said he was saved. Amen. I believe that. Amen. 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 Am
how I speak it, brother. Listen, with all those experiences, <laughs> anybody has to put them down and note. <laughs> oh, yeah. One time we was out in Phoenix, and, and Sister Dow had, had something happen back in Lima that she thought she'd done wrong and about, about a certain thing, you know. It was really like the time I had. She was really burdened about it, you know, and Satan again was, was using it to all it was worth to try to really convict her. And so when we got out to Phoenix, uh, I told her, I said, well, let's go talk to Brother Branham. So we went over to this motel that Brother Branham was staying at, and it was a two-story motel, and, and Brother Branham's room happened to be right behind the stairway going up to the second second floor. And I pulled into the parking lot out here. It was almost directly across from Brother Branham's room, but the stairway was in his field of view. He could not see us, see? And the office was over to the one corner, and I go up to the office, and I ask what room Brother Branham was in, and they tell me. As I walked out of the office to go towards Brother Branham's room, here he came, he'd, he had come out of his room. He didn't see me. He was walking in the other direction. But I could see him looking at that pillar of fire. I didn't see the pillar of fire, but I could see that he was looking at something, and he was following something. And, he, and it led him right around the stairway, out into the parking lot, right over to the car where Sister Dow was, and he told her exactly what had happened and that everything was okay. <laughs> so that's the way the prophet would move. You know, it, it, uh, it was really wonderful to see things like that happen. When you listen to these things, you can imagine now, friend, why they, nobody in the ministry opposed him when he was here. All the opposition, you know, came after he was gone. That's right. They were absolutely scared stiff. Anybody that was around it, because it wasn't just what they saw and heard, it was the presence that they felt as well. That's right. I mean, just as afraid as Brother Tom was, or I was, and I don't know, I don't think anybody could have been more afraid than I was when the presence of the angel of the Lord came. Oh, yeah. I just, I just was just stiff. Yeah, you can't just, do anything. You couldn't do anything. Yeah. I felt my next breath might just take me right off right. this, off this, out of this life. Yeah. And uh, that's why there was no opposition then, you know, because they saw so much phenomena. And I believe that that's why it gives the message, gives, uh, gives that allowance for those that were in the meetings back there and who have rejected the message. That's why it's so easy for them to give them, give it that cult or spiritualist type of. Uh, uh, <coughs> reflection, you know, that connotation that, well, you know, uh, because there is that, that phenomena aspect of it. You follow me? Yeah. It, it, it was such a phenomenal, such an outstanding thing that uh, it would resemble some of those that made things up. You know, there are those that make things up to try and make themselves something, elevate themselves something. But the men, the, the men who were in company with Brother Branham, and I'm talking about the ministry, the church world, because I wouldn't want to lose sight of that here tonight, that uh, they viewed the same things Brother Tom Brown viewed, same things Sister Gladys and her husband viewed, same things I viewed. They viewed it, but because they had reason to turn it down, that's why they brought that off-color cult uh, taint to it, you see, because there's room for them to do that. There was this phenomenon, but now you're able to hear the record again tonight. That's absolutely true. Amen. See, those things are true. That's right. We was in the Shreveport meetings. This was not, this was the, I think it was 63 or 64. Anyway, Brother, Brother Dow started hemorrhaging. And uh, it was the last meeting, and he started hemorrhaging, spitting up blood. And, and we rushed him to the hospital. And after we got him to the hospital, then I went to Brother Branham's motel to try to catch him because I knew he was going to go home that morning. I told him about Brother Brother Dow and how, how bad he was, and I asked him if he'd if had time to come pray for him. And he said, well, I'll be over as soon as I get dressed. And he, and uh, when he did come over to the, to the hospital, he, uh, he told us, he said, well, all I saw was, he says, I believe Brother Dow's going to be all right. He says, all I saw was a little blood. And Uncle Bill was in the hospital, and he went into the home, and the doctors convinced us that we better let him stay there another day, and so he stayed another day, and the next day he got worse. He said, I'm going to go home. Finally, the second day, he, 
he was determined to go home and and uh, that old Dutchman he got determined to do something he did it you know and uh, so Aunt Gladys she was a nurse she had to sign a, a statement you know that we were taking him home against their advice and that very likely he could die on the way home you know and uh, Uncle Bill didn't care we had to take him home so as we was starting to load him up into the car the nurse helped him down to the car and he was getting out of the wheelchair he he started coughing and he spit and it was the brightest red that I'd ever seen and when he did that this nurse looked at Aunt Glass and, and they looked at me and and Uncle Bill looked at all of us and he shook his head and he just he pushed himself right in that car and away we went home you know and uh that doctor was so sure that we would never make it that he called Uncle Bill's doctor in Lima and told them that we were trying to bring him home and that we would never make it. Well, that was a thousand miles, and, and uh, the next day we were home, and the Lord had done such a miraculous job on Uncle Bill that uh, he walked into the house just as fit as a fiddle, he weren't there very long to where the, the same doctor who had been called came to to the house. And Uncle Bill said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I just wanted to see what was going on. I, he said, I got a phone call the other day, you know, where this doctor told him that he wouldn't make it up there. So they kind of laughed about it and had a good time, you know. <laughs> and Uncle Bill, you know, he was, he's a businessman, and he had uh, been active in a lot of different businesses. And... Uh, He'd been on this one, he'd been a uh, director on this one bank for years. And as soon as the uh, doctor left, Uncle Bill got his coat on and went to the board meeting at the bank. <laughs> How old was he then? About 93. <laughs> I didn't put this on my notes, but I remember one time we was down in Dallas, Texas. And Uncle Bill had a heart attack. He'd had three or four heart attacks. And he... <laughs> He had this heart attack when he was down in Dallas, Texas. And that's where uh, John F. Kennedy was was shot, you know. And we rushed Uncle Bill to the hospital. And we, in fact, we took him to the same, very same hospital that John F. Kennedy was in. And I often say that I can see now why Kennedy died because we took Uncle Bill to this emergency room and they and they uh, the nurse checked him real quick and verified that he was having a heart attack. She said, "Wait a minute, I go get the doctor." And we had notified everybody that Uncle Bill was sick again and all the saints was praying for him and I'm sure they got word to Brother Branham. And we stayed in that emergency room for over an hour and nobody come see Uncle Bill. Hmm. And he got more aggravated by the minute and pretty soon he says, he said, we're getting out of here. So <laughs> they never did find us. <laughs> Maybe still looking. <laughs> I often wonder what happened when they finally got into that emergency room. <laughs> if anybody has a heart attack, we're not recommending this. <laughs> oh, boy, let's see. Enjoying it? Amen. Okay, here we go. Next time we was at Shreveport was, was on Brother Graham's last trip. And, and Sister Becky, uh, Brother Graham's daughter, Becky... She's Becky Smith now, but at that time, uh, before she was married, Becky had spent a couple weeks with Brother and Sister Dow. And when we went out to hear Brother Branham at the Shreveport meetings, uh, we drove both cars. I drove and uh, because we had to go back after the meetings, and, and uh, Brother and Sister Dow was going to go on out to uh, the last four meetings that Brother Branham ever preached. And Sister Becky drove their car down there. Well, after we got in Shreveport, uh, I wanted to, we had to take Becky over to Brother Branham's motel, and he had two two adjoining rooms in this motel, one for he and Sister Branham, and the other room for the children, and uh, I carried the luggage up there, Sister Becky's luggage up to the, to the room, and we greeted one another, and to this day, I don't know how it happened, but he and I ended up in this one room, and sitting quite like we are right now, and he was talking to me. And out of the blue, he says, he said, Brother Tom, he said, I'm a prophet. Amen. And I thought, now, Brother Branham, 
I thought, why did you say that to me? Because I thought, surely you know that I received you as a prophet. Mm -hmm. And I never did understand why he called me, why he said, and uh, maybe, maybe uh, Brother Bram thought I'd need that, you know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Must he said it. Must something I, to your testimony. Yeah, something. something. To, yeah. But uh, at the same time, then, Brother Branham was uh, starting to talk about his end. And he was telling me how that, that a couple sisters had relayed uh, a, a dream that they had to him. And in this dream, the sister said that, that he was probably shot. And they pointed to two holes, one in his head and one in his throat. And then, of course, later on, he told different ones that, that he would... Uh, probably perhaps end in a car accident but he was telling all this thing just a month before before it really happened you see yeah. and i was there and he, and he and he told me these things in this in this room as we was what was it that he related to you about how this woman how she had this dream and that uh, about his end mm -hmm. how that he was going to be she thought in her dream that he was shot you see mm -hmm. and she uh, that and he shot in the head and in the throat you see. Mm -hmm. But then later on, he told different ones that, uh, uh, that how he would probably end in, in uh, have a car accident. And uh, on that one, one of those last tapes, he even tells about how that he would be dying. You know, how it'd be, he tells us about his end coming up. Mm -hmm. Do you know anyone that he spoke to about, uh, uh, you know, about his death? I'm not sure he said much to Glass or not. She might have. You have to ask her when you have your little private interview with her. Yeah, brother. Hey, Brown, now, when he, when he died at the end there, didn't they have to drill two holes to the pressure? Yeah, they, before he died, yeah, they uh, they did just that, Mike. They had they had to relieve the pressure and they was feeding him through the throat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just the same, just like he pointed to. Yeah. yeah. And he specified his left side. Yeah, he pointed the same side that it happened on. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Uh, when Brother Bram died and they brought the body back to Jeffersonville, it was uh, a real dark, stormy night, and the clouds was, was quite low, and uh, it was moving real swift, and it was real, real thick, cloudy night, you know, rainy night, well, like you have up here, you know. And, uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> and I'm picking on him on his weather. But uh, I think probably a lot of you have seen the movie The Ten Commandments, have you? And you notice how that, that death angel was uh, slithering through the streets, you know, after the firstborn. Well, when we come back from the airport, when we saw him bring Brother Brandon's body in, and, and like I said, this was a real stormy night and the clouds were real low, we saw a cloud that was uh, uh, just slithered through the heavens. It reminded me just like that death angel that I'd seen in the Ten Commandments movie. Mm -hmm. And and Gladys and Uncle Bill and Marilyn, my mother and I all saw it. And we all had that same fearful experience. You know, it just you're helpless. What what can you do with something like this? You know, it's an awesome thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And we went into the room and, and uh, we come back out and we saw that it was gone. It was just like a great weight was taken off of it, you know. Mm -hmm. And we commented the next day about what we'd seen and uh, Brother Banks Woods, who lived right next to Brother Branham, he says, yeah, he says, I saw the very same thing. He says, you know, that came over Brother Branham's house and he just broke up, disappeared. But it was, it was really something to see. Yeah, was was that the day of the funeral? That was the day they brought the body back mm -hmm. from Texas. Mm -hmm. No, it was not the funeral. It was way before the You funeral. have some pictures uh, of the sky and the heavens mm -hmm. and yeah. so on. Yeah, that was very interesting. Perhaps you can just describe Yeah, I'm coming that into that a little later. Okay. That, I'm leading up to that. There's one thing I forgot here in this Shreveport thing that I wanted to touch on again, and that was uh, uh, when Brother Branham was preaching on the wings of a snow-white dove, uh, Brother Jack Moore's church was, I always thought it was a, a, an old movie house because it was uh, the floor, I remember, was quite high. As you walk in the back, it was quite high, and then it sloped down to the front, to the pulpit. It was real long, kind of narrow building, and it had a ceiling quite similar to this where the roof went up and then it went on up, and then they had a row of windows, just like you do here, the full length of the building. And down in Shreveport, Louisiana, it was warm down there, you know, and it's also very close to sea level. It's, it's not very high. 
and they had all these windows open and Brother Brandon was preaching on the wings of a snow white dove and when he, he remember on the tape when he starts singing over and over and he was kind of wooing the Holy Spirit in, you know. In fact, where he, he makes a statement, we're waiting on you, Lord. About that time, I noticed there was a cloud that came in and settled over the whole congregation. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be clear to the back where my field of vision encompassed everything, you see, and I saw that. And, and Sister Branham was there, Marilyn and Aunt Gladys and all of us, we all saw it. We all, we all witnessed to that. You know, the same cloud that led Israel. Yeah. Amen, I believe that. But it just kind of did it move down. No, I just settled over it. Not too many people. You had to. You had to be back where we were at to see the thing. A lot of people didn't even know it, you know, because if you'd be out here, you'd have to look up to see it. It's towards the end of the service. Right. No, when he was singing. Always. Remember when he was singing? He kept singing over and yes. over on the wings of a snow white dove. Yeah. And 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 right when he says, "We're waiting on you, Lord," is when I noticed it come mm-hmm. in and settle over the congregation. Oh yeah, when Brother Bram was was lying in the in the funeral home in his casket there, I went up and I, I I touched his hand. I laid my hand on his hand, and my and I went back and and I told him I said, you know, my hand got warm. And a little while later, I went back up there and I put my hand on Brother Bram's hand again. And this time, my hand was warm and also my forearm. And I was getting towards the time that the funeral home was going to close for the evening. And, and I went back up there and Billy Paul was standing at the head of the casket. And I said, Billy, I said, you care if I put my hand on Brother Bram's hand again? He says, no, brother, go ahead. And I was standing there and I was thinking of all the things that, that Brother Branham had meant to me. You know, all the, the interview I'd had and times he'd prayed for Mom and Brother Dow and all the wonderful things that were going through my mind. And I was just on the verge of tears. And as I touched his hand, it was just, I was electrified. It just went clear all through me. And it was just a couple of days after that that it finally dawned on me that it was quickening power from the bones of Elijah. <laughs> Amen. I'll praise you that to my dying day. I'm sure everybody knows that uh, you know, the, the, the dead man right. fell on, on the bones of the Amen. prophet. And he came to life. Yeah. But I didn't go up there with that intent. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I didn't go up there with that intent at all. I was going up there just because I, you know, I, I had love for the brother, you know, mm-hmm. and here I'm viewing his remains, and this is the reason I did those things. Sure. You know? sure. I had no thought of that at all, you know. But You it, weren't trying to. Uh-uh. Yeah. And in fact, I didn't, it didn't even register to me for a couple of days what had really happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Well, those things we can see in the Scripture. Amen. Now getting up to the part you was talking about this, what they saw in the sky. When they finally had the the funeral service for Brother Branham, uh, and they took the body out of the church, and there was probably three or four hundred of us out there on that one one parking lot by the one, the one that's right by the road, you know. And somebody said, "Look up at the sun." And we looked at the sun. You could you had to squint your eyes, but it got like a a clock on the face of the sun, like hands on a clock. And this clock, st- the face of this clock started spinning real fast. And when it went real fast in the heavens, it just got red. And then it went right back to the face of a clock again, like hands on a clock. And once again, it spun real fast, and the heavens just got red. It just kept doing that over and over and over. Nobody knows what it means. I sure don't. Hmm. But even in death, God vindicated his Signs prophet. in the heavens. Mm-hmm. And then all through that afternoon, evening, you know, you just see all the clouds and everything. Just it was just a mysterious look to the heavens. Yeah. But Tom, if, when you come here again, you be sure and bring the slides, the pictures that you have. Yeah. Well, some of those, I, I Brother Miller from Columbus took the pictures, and he had a. The Lord seemed to give him a meaning of the those pictures of the moon were were uh, different, a uh, little spot kept moving, you know, and the Lord seemed to give him all this. I don't really understand what all, I forget. He told me one time, but I forgot it, but he'd be the one that could really explain all these things mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, the Bible says there'll be signs in the heavens. Yeah. 
And we're certainly in that time. Now, the earth is the Lord's and the heavens are the Amen. Lord's. And he just does what he wants with them. Amen. It was a great, a great moment. Just to tie in with this before you go on with that. I was, I had been in touch with you and you were in touch. This was before Brother Branham passed away now. And we were sitting in Toronto and uh, Christmas was coming right up. And I had actually been in Vancouver and I got a phone call uh, from a close friend who had just come from church at Glad Tidings. And he knew I was visiting in the city from Toronto and he phoned me up and said, did you know, did you hear that Brother Branham had been in a car accident and that he's, he's very badly hurt? And I couldn't hardly believe it. I was just stunned by it. And I said, well, this was Sunday night. I said, well, we're leaving early tomorrow morning for Toronto. So as soon as I got to Toronto, I called Brother Brown and uh, to find out what he knew. And I believe I called Brother Perry Green, who was at the hospital in Amarillo and uh, monitoring everything and so on and having phone calls from all over the world, I guess. But I just agreed to keep to keep in touch with Brother Brown and he would keep me informed. <clears throat> so it was Christmas Eve, 24th of December, and I was sitting downstairs. We'd, the children were in bed and I was sitting in front of the fireplace, uh, very somber, uh, very sorrowful, and I was trying, I was pondering what could all of this mean. I thought, and the thing that was, just wouldn't come together for me was that a, that a man who had had such a remarkable birth, such an outstanding childhood, and visions from the earliest time that he could remember, and, uh, and then the angel of the Lord following him and being with him all through life, and now, just to depart the scene with, you know, in a car accident, it, I couldn't relate the birth, the childhood, the life to the death. I was sitting there, I was just sitting there pondering. And then, it was like, uh, like my mind was, was just expanded. I could, just like I was seeing a whole scene while I was sitting there, I, I thought of the the airways uh, around the whole world, the Christian world, are singing his singing the song, joy to the world. Uh, you know, it came upon a midnight clear, and the whole theme of the Lord's first coming was grip, gripping me because it was it was Christmas Eve, and you know there's snow on the ground and the whole scene. The, the whole Christmas birth of Jesus Christ overwhelmed me. All the store windows were remembering it. And church bells were pealing, you know. And they're all having their Christmas Eve services. And then it just came to me. And if, there, if the forerunner of his second coming departs now, while the Christian church is saying, we are tonight acknowledging that we believe Jesus Christ came the first time, but they missed John the Baptist, and they missed him when he was here on earth. Mm -hmm. And now I thought, if they miss the second forerunner, that'll be perfectly in keeping with the scripture. Amen. And I, I said to Ruth, I said, if Brother Branham passes away, I said, if he lives through this Christmas season and simply dies, I said, I will not be able to understand that. But I said, just think, dear, tonight, tonight we're commemorating Jesus' first coming. If his second forerunner leaves on this Christmas season, I said, I think I'd have to go across this nation screaming at the top of my lungs, you know, that it's finished, it's over. And within two hours, Brother Tom was on the phone, said he's gone. Christmas Eve. Amen. Second forerunner. While the world was pealing their church bells, we believe he came. So you see the significance of it. And the fact that there's signs in the stars or in the sun or in the heavens, that's just as, that's just as perfect in, in line with the scripture that there is. Amen. Sorry, I hope that didn't that's, interrupt you. I, I, I'm just about through. You know, I, that's about the extent of my testimony. 
and I just like to close with this: that, that of all the things that I noticed about Brother Branham in talking to him personally and, and in the meetings, the one thing that, out, that was most outstanding to me was his humility. And he always he always managed to to lift you up, you know, and humble himself. It was it was a uh, not a put on thing at all. It was genuine, you know. It was just. And that was the most outstanding thing to me about Brother Branham was this humility. And that's the extent of my testimony. Thank you. <laughs>